Hello and welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Leadership Academy Network. I am your host, Colin Cernelia, and thank you so much for joining us today. Please head over to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. This podcast is available on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Plus, don't forget, you can now play this podcast on any Amazon-enabled device. Just ask Alexa, play the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Getting Dynamic Leaders with Colin Treniglia from Apple Podcasts. Before this episode begins, please consider taking a minute and leave a rating and review. Doing this really does help us grow the show, and you can get featured for your review on a future episode. Our presenting affiliate sponsor for this podcast episode is Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web is an industry leader in CBD hemp products that can help you with faster workout recoveries or to obtain better sleep. You can browse their entire product line at charlottesweb.com. And use the code DYNAMIC at checkout to receive 15% off of all purchases. Today, my featured conversation is with Dr. Lisa Rubin. Dr. Rubin is an Associate Professor of Student Services in Intercollegiate Athletics at Kansas State University. She is the co-author of the book Implementing Student-Athlete Programming, a Guide for Supporting College Athletics with former podcast guest Dr. Christina Navarro which makes Lisa an amazing guest to have on as a follow-up to that conversation, but also as an opportunity for her to share her firsthand knowledge and her experiences in intercollegiate athletics. So let's dive right into this conversation and let's discover our talent altitude. Here is my talk with Dr. Lisa Rubin. Welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, I have with me as a guest, Dr. Lisa Rubin. Lisa, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's dive right into our conversation because we have so much to get to, but I want to first give you an opportunity like I do with all of my guests to tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. So please tell us, who are you? Well, I'm a proud native Texan. Yes, one of those. <laughs> and um, I have a, kind of an unusual path to get to where I am today. So I started off as a tour guide at the University of Texas. And somehow that led me to working in college athletics and then eventually becoming a college professor. So I really am grateful for all the steps in my life that led me to this. And I have to really give props to my brother, who is someone who still works in higher education. And I kind of followed in his footsteps. He also threatened me if I didn't follow college sports that I wouldn't be a sister. So it was really important for me to be a sister. And that's what led me to a really uh, enjoyable career thus far. And I'm very excited to share more about it with you. The sibling love, it, it's always amazing the stories that you hear about just 
commonalities and ways that families bond together. And you gave us some clues and it seems like obviously sports and athletics is one of those common bonds that you have. So was that something that throughout your childhood that you were involved in, whether you played it or you watched as a family, like you said, how did sports kind of enter the scene of your life? I would say that it was definitely more part of my brother than uh, brother's life than mine. He was really active. He was in little league and he played baseball in high school, but it was more, um, I didn't know really what I was watching, what was going on. My family watched some sports as a family, like the Rockets when they were winning championships in the early nineties, we were going to, uh, watch those games. And we also followed the Oilers when they existed. But um, mostly growing up, my dad took my brother and I to Houston Astros games. Yes, when they were in the National League (laughs) and at the Astrodome. So that was kind of my foray into sport was watching Astros games. But I wasn't very into sport as a, a participant. I did some ballet, gymnastics and figure skating as a child, but I really didn't pay much attention to sports in terms of team sport participation. When I was in high school, I was in marching band and I was watching football games in Texas at these big stadiums and I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know that I was watching Vince Young play (laughs) against my high school before he went to Texas and became a national champion. I was pretty clueless when it came to the rules of the game. So it really wasn't until I got to college where my brothers told me, you know, you need to go to games. He was a an iron spike at University of Texas, which is a kind of a supporter of the baseball team. And he really encouraged me to go to games of all types. Of course, volleyball was really popular, still is there. And I tried to get some friends together to go to football games and learn the rules kind of just through watching and listening and got really into sports in college. That's so cool. So when you get to college, then like, what did, what did you originally go for? Were you going to get into education? Like, was that a passion that you saw had a path to lead you into the next phase in your life? Or where did that all kind of start? Absolutely not. I was a clueless you know, <laughs> young person, just like a lot of students who are not sure where they're going to go. I applied, I listed my dad's major, which was advertising. I got into the advertising program. I thought, okay, I don't know what I'm doing with this, but I didn't realize that UT at the time uh, was in the top three for advertising. It might be number one now. I don't know, something good. But I just did that program because that's what I put down. And it ended up being, you know, presenting and creativity and a lot of team activities. So it was a good experience, but I never intended to do work in advertising. And my dad was an accountant, so he didn't either. (laughs) But what I did do was kind of have a passion for the music industry. And I was trying to go that direction, maybe pursue a graduate degree in music business, which was just starting out at the time. I had an internship with the Texas governor's office promoting the music industry of Texas. And I was going to South by Southwest when it was just a music festival and not all these other cool things that they do now. Around the time I was looking at grad programs, it turned out I was going to be graduating college very early, uh, earlier than I anticipated due to AP credits and summer school. So I ended up graduating college in two years. And while I was figuring that out, I missed a lot of deadlines to apply to graduate school. And my supervisor at the admissions office told me, 
you should look at the sport management program. It's probably like music management, entertainment. So it's probably similar. And why don't you go over there? And so that was my first uh, hint that maybe I should look at sport management instead of music business. And that is how my life course changed towards sports and athletics. That's so interesting. And I think it's really cool that you had somebody to nudge you along maybe and give you that guidance or that advice and say, Hey, this is similar to a passion that you have. Why don't you try that? Cause I think one of the aspects you alluded to was a lot of us when we're that age, when we're in college, we're not exactly sure what we want to do, whether we're student athletes, whether we're musicians, whether we're doing whatever work it is in whatever major we've selected, we still don't know exactly what we want to do. And as you know, that kind of follows you along (laughs) in life in different ways. I just think it's cool, though, when you have somebody who can support you in the way that that person did to nudge you along into somewhat of a direction, because that's really what you're looking for, right? At that point, like, you just want some direction to say, hey, does this make sense? Like, should I do this? And everything. So you get onto that path. And it's obviously led led you to where you are today. And I'd love for you to tell people a little bit about more in detail about how you got to this point. Because I know, again, it wasn't probably just a straight path to what you're doing now. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are and how you developed some of those interests and those passions for your work? Certainly. So going back to my high school where I didn't know anything about sports, (laughs) one of my classmates in high school uh, was a Mecca Okafor who ended up being a a very, I think, first or second pick in the NBA draft uh, after he completed college in three years. He was a very strong student and um, someone that I looked up to as a putting academics at the forefront, even though he was uh, an amazing basketball player at UConn. And when I was starting my graduate program, I had to take a couple prerequisites the summer that I was graduating college. And I wrote a paper and I, it took me a couple years of you know, after I wrote this to realize I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. And I look back <laughs> at this paper, this paper before I started my master's in sport management was uh, advocating for student athlete support services because I felt someone like a Mecca who worked very hard, you know, deserved extra resources. And I was thinking about that and uh, decided in this paper before I got this master's that I wanted to work with college athletes. And then I did this master's degree. And when I graduated, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I forgot about that paper. And uh, my husband now went to Texas A&M, so we are rivals, of course, maybe not so much anymore <laughs> with the conference realignment, but uh, he was at A&M and I was at UT and Texas A&M had a sport business uh, little conference to help people think about careers in sports. So I had just finished my master's. I was in the middle of the year, it was in December, so I couldn't find a job at a university as easily maybe as now with the mid-year things. So I went over to College Station, and one of the breakout sessions at this little conference was about student athlete support services. And Steve McDonald was the director at AM's uh, unit at the time. And I was the only one who attended this breakout session. So I got some one on one attention, and I learned about this field that I'd forgotten about mentioning in my little paper two years before. And decided I really wanted to look at this because I loved working as a tour guide and admission student worker. And I wanted to work on a college campus. And now after my degree, I wanted to work with 
college student athletes. So I learned about this field and I was trying to stay at A&M and be near my sp- or now spouse, but um, they had no openings. But Steve really said to look at Nebraska. He said Nebraska has the most academic All-Americans. It has a very strong internship program and everybody models their program after Nebraska. So I went home, made a resume, sent my email to Dennis LeBlanc with my resume and said, hey, if you have any openings, I'm interested. And by the way, my grandparents live in Omaha, so I can, you know, possibly visit them and meet you. And he wrote back, thank you. We'll, you know, keep your resume in mind. And four months later, I got a call and not too different from this podcast. I was interviewed on the phone because back then there was no video chat or anything like that. And they weren't flying interns in for interviews. And I got hired off the phone and moved to Lincoln, Nebraska to start my career in college athletics. So that was my first position. I was an assistant academic counselor and life skills coordinator for a two-year contract. And I had uh, the very amazing opportunity to be mentored by Keith Zimmer, who I think his title, he has, he's grown up, you know, he's been there a very long time, but it's something like senior associate athletic director for life skills now, but uh, really received great mentorship from him. Really enjoyed working at Nebraska, where of course my mom grew up in Omaha. So all of my uncles were very excited that I was an honorary Husker, uh, though they were still in the same conference as Texas at the time. So I got a lot of flack for being a <laughs> Longhorn there. I still managed to make it through and Texas seemed to win every game that they played in every sport <laughs> when they came to visit. So I was not, uh, everyone wasn't so happy with me, but uh, really enjoyed working there. Uh, I felt like when I left, I was very prepared for my interviews, you know, to leave a good impression and that opened a lot of doors for me and uh, had a lot of opportunities to interview for positions when that wrapped up but I decided to take an offer from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, because I was done with the cold. I wanted to get away from (laughs) snow and cold. They're four-letter words for a reason. And I moved to Las Vegas, and that was a big change (laughs) from Lincoln. And I gave uh, UNLV, I call it seven years. It was a lucky seven years that I was in Vegas. I started in athletics the first three years working as an academic athletic advisor, and I kind of jump-started the life skills program that was not funded and barely existed and worked with my colleagues there to add in some of those programs for student-athletes. But I also, on the side, started a PhD program, and I was taking one class at a time in higher education leadership. And in 2010, there was a big budget cut. Um, A lot of states were going through that, of course, after the recession, but Nevada had a pretty significant cut, and uh, both UNLV and Nevada Reno were cutting some programs out of the uh, catalog, and and of course, my doctoral program was eliminated. So I was given a very brief time frame to finish that degree, and I decided as a, well, someone who worked with athletes and promoted academics, I better uh, resign and and put academics first and show that that was really important to me after my time and money I'd invested in this. So I went back to school full time to finish my doctorate. I started working as a a graduate assistant in various uh, non-athletic areas on campus. I also started teaching college and career success at Nevada State College down down the way in Henderson. And um, 
eventually finished my degree and became a full-time career counselor in their uh, number one ranked hotel college. So I was working as a career counselor, still interfacing with some athletes who were majoring in hospitality management. But what I realized while teaching at Nevada State, which I initially started doing for extra money to make ends meet, was that I liked teaching. And I thought maybe, you know, I've got a PhD, maybe I should be considering a faculty position. Lo and behold, I saw a job posting at Kansas State University that was looking for a faculty member who was focused on student services and intercollegiate athletics. And I thought, well, that is me on paper. Every (laughs) word on that job description I highlighted. I took it with me to my interview and showed them that I applied because I've never highlighted every word in a job description before, (laughs) but they were looking for someone to teach and research in the areas of student athlete support. And I thought it was too good to be true. And somehow I ended up in that position. And now I'm finishing my sixth year here at Kansas State. So amazing. And I'm really happy that you walked us through that adventure because there are certain keywords that I highlighted throughout the course of what you just walked through that will more than likely happen to the majority of people throughout their life experiences. You talked about working on a contract. You talked about resigning from a position. You talked about dealing with the hardships of a real economical situation that you had literally no control over. And ultimately, it leads you to where you are today. And if you just look back on it a little bit, it's pretty easy to say, hey, I've had a nice career so far, and hopefully I've got a nice long career ahead of me. But what I'd like to take from this and what I'd like to ask you is if there is a young person listening to this and they're unsure or even they've had maybe some tough opportunities that just haven't worked out for whatever reason. They're feeling a little bit lost. Like how do you have the confidence in yourself to overcome those different adversities and those different moments where you had, it really did seem like you just were really confident in what you could do. So like, how do you develop that confidence to say like, Hey, I'm going to move to Lincoln or I'm going to move to Vegas or now I'm going to be at Kansas state. And then all those other aspects that we talked about, do you have any advice for people just to navigate and deal with some of those uncertainties? Absolutely. Um, One thing I definitely think is important is that we must get out of our comfort zone. So Texas was my comfort zone. I lived there my whole life at the point that I finished graduate school and I decided to get out of my comfort zone. When I moved to Lincoln, I was miserable. I was like calling my parents saying, there's no water here. I'm trapped. You know, (laughs) it just didn't feel like home to me, even though, you know, an hour away, I had my grandparents and some uncles and cousins and things, you know, I could barely afford to make ends meet there. And uh, driving to Omaha meant I had to pay for gas. So that, you know, that I had to really think about some things like budgeting. Uh, I had to just like learn new skills. Like I became an amazing cook because I spent two years at home cooking my own food because I couldn't afford to eat out. Taking advantage of all the great people that I met in every place that I've lived has been really important. So I, like I said, I had a great mentor at Nebraska, but I had a lot of other great coworkers that were there and most of them still are there or came back. And it's a very unusual kind of a Midwestern thing because in college athletics, there's so much turnover, but I know if I drive up to Lincoln today, I can 
see a whole bunch of people that I know that still are doing great things for students. Uh, I also would say once you get that experience the first time, it gets a little bit easier. So Nebraska, that move was very difficult for me. And then when I moved to Las Vegas, I knew zero people. And I really had to just kind of figure it out. And I took the time to do that. I didn't start right away. I moved a little bit earlier so I could kind of get used to the area. And then when I moved to Kansas State, Manhattan is a really small city. And I thought Lincoln was small because I'm from Houston. But Manhattan is a lot smaller than Lincoln. And by the time I got here and did it again, it was a lot easier. And there's some great people here. And I think what I value most is I'm so glad, grateful for the people that I worked with and have met at every place that I've been. And that is something that, you know, wherever you go, you will find that. It may not be the right fit, though, and that's something you try to figure out when you're interviewing or, or whatever. But if you're going to be a young person starting out in athletics, that first job, just give it one to two years. And that's usually a good kind of testing ground. And you might move on and you may not have had the greatest experience, but you'll gain lots of things from that experience and lots of friends. And that network is going to help you later. And I think that's what's really important is that you will find something good wherever you go, even if it is a challenging time. And I look fondly at my experience at Nebraska. I know it gave me, again, a lot of opportunities. It opened a lot of doors. And it was hard for me because that was my first time getting out of my comfort zone And it was a very different place than where I'd ever been. But I have been invested in by my mentors there. And, you know, thinking back, um, I know you've had Dr. Christina Navarro on your podcast. She and I uh, co-authored the book Implementing Student-Athlete Programming with Jeff Mamoreau. And I interviewed both Keith Zimmer and Dennis LeBlanc at Nebraska for that book. And they gave me time and and resources to do that, that I don't think they would give a lot of people because I worked for them and I stayed in touch. And I think that was really cool too. Hey everyone, Christine here from Sweat with Stods, one of this show's sponsors. The Dynamic Leaders podcast is here to help you be a better leader. And the best leaders take care of themselves both mentally and physically. I'm here to help on the physical side by making fitness accessible to everyone. As a certified personal trainer with years of experience coaching fitness classes, I've designed programs that can be followed at home and in the gym. These are intelligently structured programs, giving you a plan to follow to help you be successful. Build strength with my Get Strong at Home program, get quick results with Hit at Home 1 or 2, or work on your health outside of fitness with my Healthy Habits program. As a listener, you can get these programs at a discounted rate by entering code DYNAMIC at checkout. That's D-Y-N-A-M-I-C at checkout. So head on over to sweatwithstods.com, that's sweat with S-T-O-D-D-S.com to take the next step toward achieving your health and fitness goals today. We talked about your journey and how you've gotten to where you are now, but I'd love for you to be able to tell folks a little bit more specifically about the work that you do and maybe just in general, what the area of developing student athletes is all about. Can you dive into that a little bit? Sure. So what I do at Kansas State, I am a faculty member, so I'm um, an assistant professor and I focus on, again, student services and intercollegiate athletics, but I have some other interests. So in the little, those years that I, between athletics and becoming a professor, 
I did a lot of different things. I worked in student conduct and academic integrity. I worked in career services. I also worked in student organizations and involvement at UNLV. So I've done a lot of different things in that student affairs, higher education space. And remember, I started in college admissions too. So I teach students who are interested in working on college campuses. So we have two graduate programs at the master's level. One is called college student development, and the other is called academic advising. So our students in those programs want to be practitioners on college campuses, working with college students. So I'm basically, they're living vicariously through their students and I'm living vicariously (laughs) through my students. It's really fun. But um, most of my classes that I teach are on student athletes in college athletics, though I do teach other classes in higher education and academic advising areas, uh, including an internship course where students work on campuses and gain experience that way, which is really fun to hear about. But um, that is my teaching responsibility. I also conduct research on college athletics and student athletes. And I've been kind of in a different bunch of different spaces, but a lot about student athlete well-being. So the most recent publication I actually worked on with a former student of mine who was a former athlete at Sacramento State, Kim Gross, who works at University of Southern California right now as an academic advisor. And... Um, we wrote about college athletes and suicide prevention. So that was a really important topic to us. And she shared her story as well as some tools for people to use or things to say when talking to athletes about suicide, which can be really challenging. Uh, I also do research on uh, different things like financial literacy and how athletes learn basic financial skills and budgeting. I also like to look at the student support professionals. So I've studied uh, like who are people in this profession of student athlete support. And I also studied burnout in that area. So I'm really interested in those sort of things, but um, I think I forgot the rest of your question, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's great. Uh, I'd love to hear about your focuses and that's actually going to lead me to another question here in the, in a minute, but to finish that one, just in general, if you can break down like what, the whole developing student athletes area looks like, like if people want to either get involved in this type of career, want to learn more about it from this podcast, like what would you tell them to give them like a sales pitch, so to speak? Well, student athlete development is developing an athlete holistically. So looking at their total person and not just their athletic ability or their academic prowess, what they're doing on campus in the classroom And that is difficult because we know athletes don't necessarily have the time to go on campus and like participate in clubs and go to events or do things with other students. So this is an opportunity to help athletes build character, develop as a person, uh, gain skills and experience to put on a resume and prepare for life after sport. So a lot of professionals in this area might specialize in one of these areas or kind of you know, depending on the resources at the institution, have many hats. So for example, you might have um, involvement in community service activities where you bring students to elementary schools to speak to children about, you know, why it's important to stay in school and have good friends and and be active, those kind of things. Then you also have career development. A lot of times athletes may not get to a career fair because of their practice schedule. So you might bring employers to them or do some kind of networking uh, programming. 
Another thing is kind of health and wellness, personal development, helping students learn more about, say, nutrition or how to navigate a grocery store, how to cook for themselves. Again, financial literacy is another area that students can work on. Tracking spending, and if they have a cost of attendance scholarship, how to be responsible with that money that's in addition to their scholarship. So there's a whole bunch of areas. They're basically the old term life skills. Nebraska has clung on to this term still. They don't use student ethic development. Uh, but those are the interchangeable terms. It's basically helping someone prepare for life outside of that campus environment. So it's a really rewarding career. And to get more involved, I would recommend, if anyone has not heard of it, we haven't mentioned it yet, is N4A. And this is a professional organization. It used to stand for something, but now it is the National Association of Academic and Student-Athlete Development Professionals. And this organization took the training of student-athlete development professionals over from the NCAA about five years ago and also includes other academic support professionals and learning specialists who work with athletes. So this is a great place to network with other people in the profession as well as get professional development through different conferences and webinars and things like that. That's so cool. Is that a website by any chance? It is. It's nfoura.org. So spell out four. And this organization I've been a member of for 15 years. It's hard to believe that. But when I first got to Nebraska (laughs) in 2005, I did join. And I am on the board of directors just till June. But I've been uh, involved in various committees, including student athlete development, uh, as a chair a long time ago and the research committee. So I encourage people to get involved. There are two committees focused on this area, and one is called Student Athlete Development Programs and Practices, and the other one is a Student Athlete Wellbeing Committee. And the folks on these committees work to provide best practices, share ideas, and do other kinds of activities to connect people in this profession with each other. So cool. I will link that to the show notes. So easy reference for anybody that's listening, you want to check it out, get involved, and that'll be easy for them. Now, I have so many (laughs) questions. Honestly, we're not going to get enough time here to go through everything. So I'm going to be as concise as I can. You mentioned that you are a co-author with a former podcast guest, Dr. Christina Navarro, episode 49. I think it was back in August of 2019. It was right before the book came out, actually, that she was a guest on the show. And the and the book is, again, titled Implementing Student-Athlete Programming, a Guide for Supporting College Athletes. I have one specific question to that book. I don't want to spoil the book for people that may want to read it. And again, I will link that book in the show notes as well for people who are interested. But you had talked about some of the areas of interest that you have specifically when it comes to developing student athletes lie in the areas of maybe some of the the mental aspects. So burnout, suicide, those type of things. And one of the topics I found most powerful and interesting in your book was on student athlete isolation. And I realized that I'm probably somebody in the past who has aided this issue because student athletes, especially in the revenue sports, they can, you know, sometimes just 
be put on a put on a pedestal and they we don't we don't think of them as people we think of them as the quarterback of our football team right like Vince Young we want you to win a national championship we don't care about anything else but there's a lot of different factors and the isolation piece is really interesting because in the book you talk about how the student athlete population in any college or university is such a small percentage compared to the general population. And you alluded to earlier, just the difficulties that student athletes have being a part of clubs or getting to different social activities, things along those lines. And I know it may seem like I'm just making excuses and I'm saying like, oh, what a difficult life student athletes have. But I just found this so interesting. And I would love if you could just maybe expand on it a little bit more as a topic and why the isolation piece is so important to understand when we're talking about developing these student athletes. Sure. And another, I mean, I've done a, a study with uh, Dr. Ron Moses, who's the, I think he's senior Society D at Old Dominion now on athletic subculture within student athlete academic centers. And we looked at this isolation piece and found some athletes actually like the isolation because they worry if they go on campus to get tutoring with regular students, then they might get, you know, asked to sign autographs or to get distracted while they're trying to study. So some of them really value that isolation, but sometimes they're isolated from each other. And I say that from experience, um, what, at a previous institution I was at, there was a golf team that did everything on a golf course off campus, including their study hours and things like that. And they didn't even know other athletes and their a coach was claiming to be their advisor. And we had to kind of encourage <laughs> that team to come to our study hall and our tutoring and meet with our advisors. And that team ended up having a really good experience and also did better academically because they started to like engage with other athletes and kind of share experiences. I think one thing that I've noticed here at K-State, we have a leadership academy like a lot of athletic programs do. And those uh, participants say that one of the best things about being in this academy is interacting with athletes from other teams and learning that they have the same issues on their team that I have. And that's something that it doesn't dawn on them. They think they're kind of doing everything in their own bubble. And I do call athletics a bubble. And so I think it's really important that athletes have the opportunity to engage with campus more. And, you know, I think the time demands changes intended for that to happen. I don't know how well that's worked out, but it's important that students engage with non-athlete students on campus and in classes that can be hard. You know, my research shows that, you know, the students will sit together with you know, with their teammates in classes because they don't think someone next to them who's taken espresso shots understands that they've been up since five and that they already did a workout and maybe a practice with by the time they get to class. And they just want to be with people who get their lifestyle. And that makes a lot of sense. There's also a lot of concern about negative perceptions by students and faculty and some staff about the athletes themselves. And so they are not always certain that it's good that they identify themselves as athletes. And if they cannot hide it because of gear or height or being fit or whatever, then they may not want to engage with other groups because they think they're going to be profiled in a way or stereotyped. And so there's a lot of issues with isolation and it's hard when they're around other students or faculty to say like, here I am, get to know me. And then this, you know, I'll be more engaged with you because there's, 
just a lot of different barriers at play. There's a lot of different factors, as you mentioned, as far as maybe some of the challenges with isolation. When it comes to solutions, are there one or two basic solutions that an athletic department, for example, can take or somebody, an individual within that department who's working with student athletes can take to get them out of that bubble or just do something to get away from the isolation? Are there a couple I don't want to say easy solutions, but are there a couple areas where we can take those first steps to helping resolve that challenge and that conflict? Or is it something that is just really specific to each university and each student athlete population? I think there's a couple of things that you know wouldn't be too challenging that might be a good idea. One would be to partner between athletics and another campus organization or department on some kind of activity or speaker or event that they bring together. So, you know, an example would be uh, a student athlete international uh, group and partnering with an international student center to do something together and showing like students who are international who are on athletic teams are still having the same issues or experiences that an international student who's not an athletic team might experience. Another great idea would be to kind of bring to campus a panel of athletes and share like what's a typical day in their life, because it's very misunderstood, not just by students, but also by staff. You know, there's, um, I just did a study on collaboration and communication between campus and athletic advisors. And a lot of this is about, there's just no understanding of like who does what and what do, what are athletes really like and why are they so difficult to schedule classes with and those sort of things. <laughs> but there's just no one's telling people this is what it's like and it needs to come from the student. I think that if a student or a panel of students are, you know, made available to the campus to community to learn, like, here's what we're really about and here's what our experience is like. And it's every day is different, but, this is why I have a long day and I might be kind of sleepy when I get to class in the afternoon. There's a lot more understanding because now they can see it. And I know not everyone's going to go to an event like that, especially people who don't want to stay after five, if that's what it is or whatever, but there's more to someone than just the fact that they're you know, participating in a competition. And we don't know that until we get to know those people that are behind the, the uniform. And so that's where I think the athletic department can do a good job of, promoting the students and sometimes to combat some of those stereotypes saying here's an athlete who is an amazing student too, who's majoring in engineering and here's how they balance their day. And that would be a great idea. I think to introduce people to that non-athletes are this stereotypical dumb jock that they perceive. One of the other areas that you had mentioned earlier in the conversation that is of particular interest to you is suicide with student athletes or in athletics in general. And I'm curious as to why that is something that is of interest to you, because it's obviously a topic that is difficult for most people to talk about, much less spend a lot of time researching and interviewing and really talking in depth to people. So why did you get started on that area? And again, I'm just going to piggyback that with some solutions to the challenges that we have with that. Well, I think one thing is just the 
kind of blowing up of this mental health issue. And I know it's a gen- like it's not just athletes, but a lot of disconnect with the kind of up and coming generations of students. There's a lot of screen time. There's a lot of I, I'm just so grateful I did not have social media when I was in school. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Facebook started when I was finishing my master's, and I did not have to deal with cyberbullying or all of those sort of things. So I think that is, um, I can't even fathom what it would be like to go through some of the things that young people go through today. So I think that's something that as I study college students and their experience and teach about it, that was really important for me to kind of take a look at mental health in this student population. And I really have to give the credit to Kim Gross, who's the first author on this paper, because she's the person who shared her story. And um, she shared both her experiences as an athlete and going through some things, but also she was trained in suicide prevention at her at Sacramento state while she was an undergraduate student and she stuck a, a sticker on her water bottle that said, thinking about suicide, talk to me. And one of her teammates saw her water bottle and contacted her. Wow. And reading her story in this article, we can see this kind of the power of that sticker and kind of what that led to and how she was able to help a teammate she wasn't very close to, but that person believed in her enough to reach out. And so that was very moving to me when I heard her story. She first shared it at a a conference two years ago. I asked her to share that with a class last year. And I mean, I was still so moved by it. And I had uh, our mental health uh, director for athletics, Dr. Annie Weiss, also speak to my class that day. And I ended up asking both of them, can we work on something? Can we put something together on this topic? Uh, there just happened to be a mental health special issue coming out in the Journal of Issues in Intercollegiate Athletics, which came out February 1st this year. And so we targeted that journal special issue to get the right audience for our work. And so most of it is Kim's story. And what she did with that was created what she called the Mental Health Toolbox. And it has questions for people who are working with athletes to practice about how to talk about suicide and also give some tips, you know, just how to, you know, she said I had to get up in front of a mirror and just say the questions over and over to feel comfortable. And then she, we provide a lot of other tips in there for people to get more training, some of the tangible things you can do, some intangible things you can do, um, how to share resources with students, you know, confidentially. So people don't feel there's, there's a lot of stigma and there's a lot of research out there that athletes don't want to go to a counseling center or seek help because of a stigma. And so we wanted to, you know, give every type of resource we could that could give people either the opportunity to help a student or students the opportunity to seek help discreetly. Awesome. And I think that story with putting the sticker on the water bottle and someone reaching out, I mean, a lot of times it's really that, again, I don't know if simple is the right word, but it's just, putting the effort out there to say like, Hey, if you need someone to talk to, (laughs) I'm here for you and let people know. And that's a really cool reminder that there's probably a lot of folks out there that need to talk to somebody or want to talk to somebody and they just don't know. So make yourself available and accessible and probably can help alleviate some of these challenges that we have with that. But all right. I have a couple last questions for you, Lisa, before we let you go today. So 
offline, we were talking a little bit in at the Talent 409 Leadership Academy. A lot of the work that we do involves women and it we want to give them opportunities to lead and to influence and to just help facilitate that movement. And the podcast is one great vehicle where we get to do that and bring women on like yourself to tell their stories and provide their expertise and guidance. But when it comes to just being able to empower women and give them those opportunities to lead and influence, do you have any advice or any guidance that you want to give specifically today? I do. I think that a lot of times women opt out of leadership opportunities or careers in sports. Uh, they, they see it's dominated by men and they are unsure about where to go. So they move on and, and do other things and they do great things, but there's so much more that's, that women can do. I think one of the things that is a hindrance is that people see the senior woman administrator role maybe as a ceiling for women in college athletics, where we see a lot of great women now as athletic directors at all levels. And I think that's really important. So one of the things I think we need to do better is to really notice what women gain through their athletic experience. So some of those things include leadership skills, gaining confidence in their abilities, working with teams and managing their successes and failures. And so you know, a lot of women are the ones pulling women up through the ranks, but also men can do this too and others uh, to encourage women to think about these kind of careers in athletics that we need a pipeline of women, of future leaders. And so what that looks like then is sending, like identifying student leaders on women's teams. So maybe team captains of, of sport programs, student athlete advisory committee leaders, and encouraging people to get involved and pursue like nominating students for the career and sports forum that the NCAA runs and um, encouraging great students on the team to consider career and coaching and providing those networks to get them there. And sometimes as they say, <laughs> sports and many other industries, it's all about who, you know, mm-hmm. And while there is a lot of value in in education, of course, I I work in a college of education and I strongly believe that it's uh, outstanding to go to school forever, but it also is important to get to know other people and be inspired. And so for people who want to empower women, I suggest mentoring them. That's really important because some people are afraid to ask. Um, like, well, can you mentor me? Or I'd really like to get advice from you. But if you see someone who has potential, you can identify that person. You can invest in them a little bit and give them feedback on how to improve or be a better fit for something or give them ideas for skills they should gain before they apply for positions. I think that's really important. I also encourage people to be open and that is um, share their stories. So, it's, it's important, like students may never know their coach's background, just that they're coached and they're good or they've won. But like, how did that coach get to where she is and what can she do to get them to that next level? And so I think a lot of it is just looking for great potential, encouraging women to stay in the field, uh, giving them skills and knowledge they need if they don't have what they need to be a coach or an administrator, and then nominating them for opportunities encouraging them to join, you know, leadership opportunities that they see and those sort of things. 
That's all excellent advice. And I really love how you talked about the mentors reaching out to the mentees. A lot of the advice that you hear comes just from the flip side of that. And people can be a little intimidated or shy or whatever it is and don't want to ask. But if you are someone who has the experience and you see somebody, like you said, with potential, don't be afraid to extend yourself without waiting for the other person to ask you. It doesn't need to be that way necessarily. So awesome advice. And Lisa, where can we find you on social media if we want to just connect, follow along with your work and just see where things go in the future? Uh, I am on Twitter and that is at Dr. Lisa Rubin. And I am not cool enough for Instagram, so you won't <laughs> find me there. <laughs> but uh, Twitter and, and my profile on Twitter has a link to my personal website, which I keep up mostly with activities that are work-related, some publication information and involvement in different organizations too. Awesome. I will link that information as well with all of the other links and info that you have provided in our conversation today. But before I let you go, the show is called Dynamic Leaders and you have showcased yourself why you are a dynamic leader and on this show. But I do like to give my guests an opportunity to shout out somebody who's been dynamic in their own life from a leadership or just an influential standpoint. Do you have somebody that you'd like to give a shout out to today? I actually have two people. Hopefully that's okay. Yes, absolutely. Um, so um, one is Denise Poole, who is at Penn State. She is the president of the M4A organization I mentioned earlier. And the other person is Ursula Gurney at Missouri Kansas City Athletics, the deputy AD. She is the incoming president of M4A. Um, I had the opportunity to work with both of them while I was a committee chair and now serve on the board with them. And they're both very inspiring women who work very hard for the whole profession of athletics and uh, supporting students at the core, but really developing professionals from entry-level folks all the way through seasoned leaders in athletics. And I think that they do such a great job of just exhibiting what a great leader is and investing in others. And I have to give them both shout outs because they are both amazing. Amazing way to end this conversation with those shout outs. Thank you, Lisa, so much for hopping on today and just sharing your expertise, your guidance. I'm really encouraged by all of the great work that you're doing with our student athletes. So I can't thank you enough for taking the time to hop on. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity.